Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming to this, yeah, like I said, very hard part of Scripture. Jesus spoke more about judgment and about hell than he did about heaven. Does that surprise you? Have you heard that before? Hmm. So as we start our sermon today, I just want to maybe get your um, input now. Actually, this is not a rhetorical sermon question for you. This is a literal question. Um, Why do we find this topic of judgment and hell so hard to think about and hard to talk about? Over to you. Shout out some ideas. Why do we find the, the Bible's teaching on hell difficult and why do you think this is? Oh, yep. We won't define it as love. Yeah. We find it confronting. Yes, indeed. Anyone else? I think the reality that not everyone we know will be saved. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we find it hard for personal reasons, of course. Yeah, definitely. Anyone else? Yep, that's a question that takes time to unpack. Yes. Good. All right. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For all these reasons and more, um, this is a hard topic to talk about and think about this afternoon. So just even, let's continue now, even to bring up this topic today sounds to many people's ears as judgmental, um, incredibly offensive. So, because what are we talking about here? We're we're talking about the judgment of God, and as Anne just said, for eternity, for those who have rejected the Messiah, Jesus, and his gospel, and have not repented of their sins, and not been reconciled to the God who has made them. And to talk about hell and to believe in God actually judging people for their sin means that Christianity isn't about you do you, uh, but it makes the claim, the Bible says that that God is the Lord and the judge of everyone, no matter who you are. Christianity says that it's not okay, it is not okay for people to believe what they want to believe and we're all accountable to our maker. Therefore, we as Christians who believe the scriptures, we, we sound offensive and judgmental and hateful, all sorts of adjectives you could throw in there, uh, to many, many people. So the topic of judgment is sad to talk about in many ways, as we've just mentioned as well. It's very personal to us because of the people we know who, who aren't following Jesus at this present moment. And so... As we come to this topic, there is a a huge temptation for us as Christians to soften this teaching. We can struggle with the reality of hell and judgment. And because of this, because of our doubts and our uncertainty and just because it's so hard and the sin within us, there is a big temptation here for us to soften what God says in his word. Let me just list out a few ways that Christians can... And if 
if we're not careful, we can compromise in this area. Uh, first one is the avoidance strategy. Um, we just don't talk about it. Uh, we might believe it personally, but we don't raise it or don't, it doesn't come up in our teaching in church or in our conversations or our minds at all. That's one temptation. The secondly, we can fall into the changing the doctrine temptation. Um, so you get different ideas and teaching about hell out there in the world and we can latch on to them. For example, um, a big one is that, uh, that uh, is annihilationism, where, where people, seem, unbelievers simply cease to exist after death. Uh, that's changing the doctrine. Another one is to get rid of the doctrine of hell altogether and promote the idea that everyone will go to heaven in the end. Um, that's no matter what anyone believes in this life about King Jesus. Um, this is the view that everyone will be saved after they die. Uh, this is known as universalism. Again, it's changing the doctrine and denying God's word. And so while these teachings out there, and they're very popular, might sound Christian, they might seem Christian on the surface, they are unfaithful to the teaching of Scripture. They're not what Jesus says, even in this passage, as we'll see today. We need to be reminded there is bad news. We need to hear bad news. For without the bad news, God's just and right judgment on our sin and the eternal destiny of those without Christ, these warnings are here to drive us to the gospel and to see the good news of Jesus for what it actually is, good news. We need the bad news so we can see and believe Christ as a saviour. This passage today shows us what we are saved from as Christians if you believe in Jesus. For those who put their faith in Christ, we see what we're saved from. But then it's a warning to urge us as Christians to live light in the light of God's judgment, to take sin seriously in our own hearts and lives and take seriously the fight against sin which the Bible calls us to. So with this meandering sort of introduction out of the way, let's uh, get into three points this afternoon. First point is that Jesus warns about causing others to stumble into sin. That's the first point. Second point is Jesus warns about the reality of hell. So we might take drastic measures. And three, arising out of all this is point three, that Jesus tells us to be salty and to maintain our purity and distinctiveness as Christians. So from verse uh, 42, we get our first point today. Have a look there. Have your Bible open. Look at the text. Jesus warns here about causing others to stumble. Verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Up until this point uh, in chapter 9, Jesus has been teaching about the way his disciples are to live, especially about how they relate to other people and treat other people. Uh, we've seen earlier in Mark 9 that Christians are to accept other people, even those who aren't high up in the society's ranking or society's um, social standing, if you like. Then we saw in chapter 9 that Christians aren't to be exclusive and to have been in-crowd sort of thing, but recognise true faith wherever it's found. Now, we hear, here in verse 42, Jesus continues along that same uh, teaching um, pathway 
to teach about how we're to treat other people. Verse 42, the little ones there uh, is a way of talking about all disciples, Jesus' disciples, all who believe in him, as he says there. We are all children, this means, of our heavenly father. We are the little ones. And Jesus is saying here, there's no greater wickedness than to be be the cause of the downfall of a fellow Christian. This is wicked, he's saying. Jesus warns about those who would lead others, like the Pied Piper, away from the truth of the gospel. And then Jesus used this vivid language to compare what it's like to fall under the judgment of God for this sin. A large millstone, you may have seen something like this before in an old, maybe in Callington Mill. Do they use a millstone there? I don't know, haven't looked. Um, It's a millstone used to grind out wheat or barley, um, and the picture is of a millstone being turned around by an ox or or a donkey. Uh, to make grain, or make grain to make into flour. Um, And Jesus says here, it's better to have this dead weight of a millstone around your neck and chucked into the ocean than to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus says that being thrown into the sea with a stone as a dead weight is the less bad option. I don't think you can get a more serious warning than this. So what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, this verse teaches us something about God. This verse shows us the love of God for his people. Jesus calls the disciples little ones. We are children of a heavenly father. And if a godly earthly father wants to protect his own children, from being led astray, how much more does our Father in heaven want what is best for his children? God cares deeply about his little ones. He does not want his children led astray, whether it be through all number of all manner of ways, through false teaching perhaps, or by a hypocritical lifestyle, by extortion or abuse. God will judge those who lead people into sin and he'll be just in that judgment. Um, John Calvin uh, comments on this verse by saying how dear and precious those persons are in the sight of God. God thinks of us, Christian, as very dear to his heart. So that's the first application here. We're to see the love of God for his children, that he would do this for them. But secondly, this applies to us all as well. Lest we think this only applies to the wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, we need to remember this is also a warning for Christians here to drive us to Christ uh, and for his help. We need to be careful in in our own lives not to be the cause of other people stumbling in our own sin, and we all sin, don't we? We can lead others into sin. We can influence others for good or for ill. Um, I can think of lots of examples. Maybe, for example, in the staff room. I've been in staff rooms which are full of gossip. Have you been in those sort of situations? Um, It easily draws people in, doesn't it? Sin promotes sin. Or in the family, I'm mindful of my own situation. The way I act as a parent has a huge influence on 
my children. Or in the workplace where, where maybe lying is acceptable way to operate and it creates an environment, a situation where this lying influence is permeating the whole culture of the company. Sin promotes sin. We can influence others for good, but also for evil, for ill. We need to be careful, friends, as far as we know in our hearts, in Christ's strength, to watch that our actions, our speech, our character is godly by the Holy Spirit's work in us. Not only for us, we need to remember, this is not only just for us, but it's for the sake of our neighbour. It's a loving our neighbour as well by the way you live. Rather, we need to do the opposite of what Jesus warns about, don't we? What is the opposite? Well, instead of dragging others down, it's to build others up. Spurring one another to love and good works, encouraging each other as the day draws near in our Christian lives. By the grace of God, striving that our conduct, our character matches what we actually say, what we believe. So this is the first point, and it's, it's heavy going, isn't it? A warning against causing others to stumble. And now secondly, a warning about sin's consequences. Look at verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is saying take serious measures to cut sin out of your life. Uh, the Puritan author John Owen put it like this in his marvellous book, The Mortification of Sin, be killing sin or it be killing you. Now, Jesus isn't speaking literally about chopping off hands here or gouging out eyeballs. Now, I, as a kid, remember this, this is a very graphic passage, so I'm drawn to this sort of stuff as a kid. But um, he's not talking about literally gouging out eyeballs and cutting off hands. Uh, we're to care for our bodies as Christians. The Bible teaches care for what God has made. But he is making a very graphic point, isn't he? It's an illustration about the deadly nature of sin. And Jesus says, verse 43, it's better for you to enter life, eternal life maimed, than with two hands and go to hell. Cut the thing off. That's Jesus' point. Get away from it. Take it from you. Step out of a situation. Leave it. Run from it. Get rid of it. Whatever it is that's causing you to sin. It is better to walk into eternal life with a limp than it is to hold on to those things and face eternity in, under the punishment of God. So let's talk about hell. And it's, I do so with a heavy heart. Now, once upon a time, Christian preachers were sometimes accused of being fire and brimstone preachers. But today, I don't think that's the case, really, at all. Far too often, little is said about what Jesus clearly teaches on. So what is hell? It's the place of God's eternal judgment against those who have rejected him and his son, Jesus. 
No, sin, it's rebellion against God, it's breaking God's law, it's turning away from God to make gods of our idols of ourselves. And the call of the gospel is to repent of our sin and turn to Christ, trusting in Jesus. But one day, for God's glory and his honour, he will not let sin go unpunished. The time to repent away and turn away from your sin is today, now, by God's grace. But one day, Jesus says, it'll be too late. Jesus will return to judge this world. And his glory will be seen and acknowledged by all people everywhere. Philippians 2 says that. The name of Jesus, all knees, everyone should bow before him. The Apostle Paul also says, 2 Corinthians 5, that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus likewise talks about a, talks about a separation that will take place on that day. The, the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Christian, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, praise God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will be found not guilty on that final day. Because Christ's life is counted for you. His death stands for you in your place. But those who haven't believed in Jesus will not have this protection They won't have Jesus' life and death standing for them in their place. And so the hell, so hell is the place of eternal judgment. The scriptures speak about hell as a horror behind horrors. Um, Jesus describes what it's like. Matthew 10, verse 28, he says, Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's also eternal, as we see here, verse 43. It's an unquenchable fire. Hell is described elsewhere as a fiery furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, the book of Jude describes it as a lake of, uh, as an eternal fire, revelation, a lake of fire. Jesus calls it outer darkness, a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in hell calls it a place of torment. And in our passage today, the word for hell here is, um, is the Greek word Gehenna. Uh, this word refers to the valley of Hinnom outside Jerusalem. And this place has a horrendous past. You might know this. It was a place where in Israel's history, when King Manasseh and the people burnt their own children as sacrifices to the god Molech. I don't think there's anything more hellish than that. Gehenna, it's the place where the most horrible things take place. And that's what Jesus says hell is like. For the Christian, the promise is of everlasting life. See the good news? Everlasting life and happiness and joy in the presence of God forever. For the wicked, it is the place of eternal punishment. This is not easy to think about it, we can't, but we cannot deny what Scripture says. It's clear teaching from God's Word. You and I cannot afford to ignore it. It's ugly and real and hard. Sadly, people will go there because they have not turned to Christ. 
And we must mourn in the words of the psalm writer, Psalm 119. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. We speak about hell. Jesus speaks about hell because he loves people. He doesn't want people to go there. We mourn that God is not honoured by people and we long and pray for people to be saved. And so Jesus teaches in these words here, he says to us, cut it out, stop it, walk away, chop off your hand, gouge out your eye, do whatever is necessary. Maybe for us, it might mean turning off the Wi-Fi signal. It might mean cancelling that streaming subscription. It might, might even mean quitting a job that suits you very well if you need to get away from a certain temptation or a situation. It may mean throwing your phone into the river. Jesus says it is better to take drastic action and be inconvenienced or thought of as uncool or hated than to go to hell. Jesus speaks about the terrors of hell so that you don't have to go there. Jesus came into this world in great love and the warnings in this passage are out of love. He came into this world to face hell's terrors so you don't have to. Jesus faced the horror of judgment on the cross. He cried so that we might rejoice. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we might drink living waters. He was abandoned so that we might be embraced into the fellowship of God. He was crushed so that we might be preserved. He entered darkness so that we might be in the light. He died so that we might live. So let the seriousness of judgment show you what Jesus has saved you from and so that you might love him all the more. So we've seen some pretty heavy warnings against causing others to stumble and warning over sin's destination. And the third point from verses 49 to 50 is that we're to be salty. Salty, uh, which I take to mean pure and godly. Verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. Jesus goes from speaking about the fire of punishment in the previous verses to speaking about fire in a different sort of way. He's speaking about the fire of purification. And this imagery here is uh, from the temple offerings in the Old Testament times. Leviticus chapter 2 says that Israel's burnt grain offerings would be offered with salt. Leviticus calls it a covenant with salt. Everything would be sprinkled with salt. Why? Because that offering would be burnt up, the grain offering would be burnt up, but the salt wouldn't be burnt. And it's a way of signifying that the offering is complete. And, it, and Jesus seems to be saying here that if we offer our, Christ, our lives to Christ as an, an offering, we will become like those sacrifices. <laughs> We're all going to be tested, as it were, with fire. Everyone will be salted. And Jesus is saying, I'll be with you. The salt will remain. Our faith will emerge, tested and purified for Christ's glory. But then Jesus goes on to speak a little bit differently about salt here. The refinement with salt and fire gives way to this other metaphor for the saltiness of the Christian. Christians are meant to be salty in us. We're salty, meant to be salty people. 
Not only are we to be, we are to, we will be refined in our faith, we tested, but we're also to be flavoursome in our following of Jesus. Jesus here uses salt to describe what it means to be his follower, his disciple. And he's saying here that we've got to maintain our usefulness. We've got to maintain our effectiveness as Christians. Uh, so verse 29, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you be made, make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now think about salt, it's useful, isn't it? Um, I'm, a huge, huge, I'm a huge fan of beef jerky at the moment, uh, which is dried and salted. Uh, we need salt, not too much, but it's useful. And so in a similar way, Jesus says you've got to maintain your flavour. And the key to understanding what he's talking about here is to, think, is to link it back with what he's already been talking about. What's he been talking about? The disciple, the Christian's moral purity. We've got to be godly in the way we treat other people. Being careful not to lead others astray. We've got to take drastic measures to remove sin from us and temptation to maintain purity. And Jesus has just taught we're, to be, we're, we're purified by the flames of fire, of, of testing. And so I think the saltiness of a Christian here is our moral purity. It's a call to discipleship. Jesus calls us to be pure and holy and godly. And in the midst of a life of suffering and testing, we've got to maintain our joy, our faith in Christ, which is our flavour. But as Jesus says here, if salt loses its flavour, it's a bit silly to think you can just re-salt salt that's lost its saltiness. You can't make salt salty again. Salt without flavour is ineffective. And that's what sin does to us, isn't it? Think about what Jesus has been talking about, the seriousness of sin. Sin takes away our usefulness, our distinctiveness, as Christians. Think about it, if we live in the same way as the world around us, you know, people who aren't living for Christ, if we don't listen to Jesus' teaching here about the deadly nature of sin, about judgment, about hell, and we sort of say it doesn't really matter that much. If we think in ungodly ways, if our patterns of life are the same as everyone else's, then where is the salt? Where is the distinctive difference? We've lost our usefulness. We've lost the flavour. It's not there. But Jesus is saying, maintain your flavour. Be salty. Keep salty. Be different. Be Christ-like. Rejoice in who he is. Love him. Worship him. Pursue a life in gratitude for him. Put to death the sin in you and live for God. And at the end of verse 50, Jesus says, Jesus really applies it here. And he says, have salt among yourselves, be at peace with each other. You know, in our moral purity, our distinctive Christianity, it's first seen in the context of our church life. It's seen first and foremost in the fellowship, in fellowship with other Christians. It's seen in our ability to love other people. It's seen in the way we get along and serve people in our church. Have salt in yourselves, be at peace. We're to live in such a morally pure and Christ-like way that the evidence is that we get along with other people, we're at peace with others. God has brought peace with us through the blood of Christ. 
so now we can live at peace with others. That's where our distinctiveness is seen, isn't it? In the way we can be at peace with others. Now, I know as we wrap up, the teaching about judgment at hell is difficult. It's hard to think about. It's personal, isn't it? We don't delight in the doctrine in one sense. In one sense, we don't delight in it because we're glad that we, want people, we don't just want people to suffer. We, we don't want people to suffer. But neither do we not believe what Jesus says. We can't be ashamed or not speak about what God reveals to us. Rather, we must speak about it because Jesus spoke about it. And we do so out of love for those who are lost. And so, friends, let's take these warnings seriously. We need to fight the sin that remains in us. And we need to maintain our flavour as Christians. And the good news is that Christ has borne the consequence of your sin in himself at the cross. And so, let the the warnings of this passage, the, the bad news... Uh, let you let lead you to rejoice in the good news.